There's a trailer for the new M. Night Shyamalan movie that's coming out this summer, <laughs> Romans. Um, and thank you guys for laughing at that. I told that twice last night, nothing. No, no movie buffs at the Saturday services. I was, I was upset. I tried it at the nine again. They laughed. You guys even laughed more at the 11. So thank you for that. Hey, if it's your first time here, um, this is a good time to start coming to church here. If you've committed to coming to church here, if you're new, um, we're starting a new book of the Bible. And um, I say this a lot. People tease me. I, I think this is, again, one of those books of the Bible that is absolutely imperative that we study, that we get into. It's, it's very, very important. I said last week, if you're going through the New Testament and you had to pick four books, this is just my personal opinion, I would do Matthew, Acts, Romans, and Revelation. I, I, I think, well, hey, that's all right. 11 o'clock. <laughs> it's good. Man, I'm telling you, I, man, I appreciate you guys more and more. I was at the nine, and I, I, I hope it's because they're paying attention and not bored, but it was just, just it was so placid, just, just silent. And you get about halfway through that, and you're like, we okay? Everyone good? Like, all right, okay. So very, very important book of the Bible. There's a lot in this book of the Bible, and I want to spend a little bit of extra time before we actually get into the scripture, and we're only going to do half a chapter one today because there's a lot just in chapter one, but I want to set up this book of the Bible because context, when it, I think when it comes to the whole Bible, context is important. Context is, in, is very important when discussing the book of Romans. Before I get into the context and a little bit of history, if you have a Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then the book of Romans, okay? So that's where we're at. Uh, you should have got a notes handout. Everything's gonna be on the screens. Everything will be on the notes handout. If you have an app, uh, the Experience Community app, everything will be on that as well, okay? So, so you have all those resources, but let me give you a little bit of background on this book before we actually dive into this very important letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, okay? First, let's talk a little bit about Paul. Now, if you have been here for the book of Philippians a couple of weeks ago, we wrapped that up, only took us a month to do that. We talked a little bit about Paul, but we didn't go into to a lot of depth about who Paul was. Paul was a Jew, born Jewish, but he had a Roman citizenship, which gave him a lot of freedoms and liberties to do what he did because he was a Roman citizen. He was also an extremely intelligent man, and we're going to see that in his writing, a very, very smart man, very educated, and he was a Pharisee. So if you don't know what that is, if, if you were with me during the book of Matthew, we talked about the main antagonists, bad guys, against Jesus were the religious leaders called the Pharisees. Paul was one of those, very elite, very powerful, and very much an antagonist to the movement of Christianity in the beginning, until about two years into the Christian faith, right, after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, Paul was going from town to town, arresting, persecuting, and even killing Christians until one day on the road to a city called Damascus, Jesus knocked Paul off his horse, said, why are you persecuting me and my church? Set Paul straight, if you will. And Paul had this huge dramatic conversion to once being a persecutor of Christians to being a Christian and writing the majority of the New Testament. Now, this is important. It's important to know this dramatic change in Paul because Paul speaks from a, a very passionate posture. He's very, almost at times, aggressive with his theology. But that's because those of us who are in the room who've, who've been saved from much, we appreciate much. Saul was a murderer, saved from that, and now an apostle of Jesus. So he's very passionate because he came from some pretty bad depths. 
So it's very important to understand that about Paul, right? What happened to Paul? A little bit more. Paul was the primary minister to non-Jewish people. He ministered to Jewish people too, but primarily his job was to go around to mostly Gentile, non-Jewish areas and spread the gospel there. Start churches and, and, and spread the gospel. It is under Paul that we first start calling followers of Jesus the church, this. So that came from Paul's ministry, this use of the word church, okay? Which is what we're doing right now, what we're a part of. So Paul was eventually imprisoned in 67 AD, about 10 years after he wrote this book of the Bible. He was imprisoned in Rome and eventually killed in Rome under a guy named Caesar Nero. You guys have heard me, I love Roman history and Greek history. You guys have heard me go on and on about that stuff. Caesar Nero was absolutely insane, right? Slit his own throat in front of the Roman Senate, did a bunch of horrible things, lit Rome on fire, killed Peter, killed Paul, was a horrible person. The reason why stuff like this is important to know is when we get deeper into Romans, like in chapter 13, when Paul says, respect the governing authorities, this is what he was talking about. Respect even an authority as, as messed up as the Roman Empire. So not only is it important to know about Paul, it's also important to know a little bit about Rome during this time. In the first century, Rome was at its peak of power and expansion. So Rome wasn't just in the city of Rome. Rome was most of the known world at this time. In Turkey, in Spain, in North Africa, in Germany, in, in all these different, in Greece, they were conquering the world at this time. Not only were they extremely powerful during this time, they were extremely evil during this time. Very hedonistic. In Roman culture, anything went. Anything went. The governor slept with children, and it was very accepted. 14 of the 15 Caesars engaged in every sexual practice that you can think of. It is documented. They were extremely hedonistic, and that flowed all the way through Roman culture. Now, the reason why that is important to know when we read this book of the Bible is the culture you and I live in is turning this, this way dramatically quick. We are turning down the road of being very, very similar. If you've never been to Washington, D.C., all the columns and the architecture are Greek and Roman based. Like there's a lot in our culture that comes from this culture, and it's starting to look more and more like that culture as we go. So this was Paul's third missionary trip, and it was also going to be his last missionary trip because he would get arrested and executed, all right? So we know a little bit about Paul. We know a little bit about the city that he was writing to, Rome. Now, let's, let's learn a little bit about the actual people who are going to receive this letter and be reading this letter. The church in Rome probably began by some, Christ, or by some Jewish people who were in Jerusalem during the time of Acts chapter 2. If you were here last week, we briefly talked, because we're talking about baptism, and it mentions baptism in Acts chapter 2. During that time, about 50 days after Jesus had been resurrected, there were still a lot of people from all over the world in Jerusalem that witnessed the Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have heard that story before, the Christians were speaking in languages they shouldn't have been able to speak. All these people who were, who were migrating briefly, doing this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, heard this, went back to the countries they were from, and started churches. That is how the church in Rome began. But over the 20 years or so, 
by the time Paul kind of got involved with the church in Rome, it was probably a very mixed bag of people. You had Jews, you had a lot of non-Jews, obviously, because it was in Rome. You had slaves, you had free people, you had rich, you had poor, you had all kinds of different nationalities, all kinds of different backgrounds. I'm not bragging on our church, it would have looked a lot like our church. It would have been mature believers, uh, uh, very new believers, people who are seeking that aren't believers yet, all kinds of colors and backgrounds and stories. It would have been a very diverse group of people, okay? That was the people in Rome. Now, what is the purpose of this letter? What's the purpose of this book? So the church in Rome was on the fringe of Christianity expanding. At this point, as as Christianity was expanding from Israel, it hadn't gone any further west yet than Rome. And so it was at the fringe of Christianity, and it was in a city we've just talked about that was huge, the most powerful city in the world, probably the most evil city in the world, and that's where this church was. So it was in a time when when persecution was starting to ramp up. People didn't like the Christians. It was in a time when Christians were greatly outnumbered. And in the middle of that culture that we've been talking about, Paul looks at this church and he says, live by faith. Doesn't matter what the government's doing. Doesn't matter how much you're outnumbered. Doesn't matter about how sinful everyone is around you. You have to live by faith. Live by faith. And that is one of the biggest themes of this book. And another purpose of Romans, now this is important, is Paul wanted to teach followers of Jesus good, solid theology. Theology is important. It's how we think about God. It's how we follow God, right? He wanted to teach good theology. He wanted to equip Christians to share their faith and to do it in a very pagan society. That's what he wanted to do. And he also wanted to unite Christians under the major doctrines. What that means is, it's not about what kind of music you play or how the pastor dresses or, or what kind of building you're in. We're gonna, we're gonna unite under the major things that we believe in, right? Jesus is the only pathway to heaven. We live by, we're saved by grace through faith. Things like that, we're gonna unite on those things. So Paul wanted our faith, not just these Romans, all of us in here, to remain strong. This is so important despite the environment. It doesn't matter where you are, Paul says. The church will flourish. The church can grow. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. Right now in the, in, in the world, the place where Christianity is growing the fastest is in the most oppressive places on planet Earth, like Iran, the Middle East. Christianity is blowing up in the Middle East. In communist China, in parts of Africa where radical Muslims are beheading Christians, that's where the church is growing the most. And so, despite our environment, the church will grow. Romans not only tells us what to do, which is important, Romans also goes deeper and begs the question, why are you doing it in the first place? Not only how are we supposed to live, but why do we even care? Why are you here this morning? Why is this book important? Why is it important to do what God tells us to do? So not just what, we're going to go deeper. And Paul's going to say, why? Why? Here's where we're going to hang out, though, today. And we're going to define this word faith because we use the word faith a lot, and a lot of people don't really know what faith means, but we're going to define it today. And then we're going to ask ourselves, do we live by it? Do we live by faith? That's going to be our big question that we're going to end on today, okay? So again, you should have everything you need, notes. It's on the screens. If you have the app, if you have a Bible, 
We're just going to do half of chapter one. We'll, we'll get through it relatively quick, and we should be in pretty good shape, okay? So remember, this is a letter, so we're going to start off with a greeting. So I'm going to pray. We'll dive into this, and um, I, th- I think you'll enjoy this book of the Bible, okay? All right, let's pray. God, I love you. God, I thank you today, Lord. I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for everyone watching. Um, Father, Lord, let us be honest today. Let us be honest with ourselves. Let us be honest, of course, with you. And speak to us today, God. Sharpen us today. Encourage us today, God. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray not just for this church. We pray for our campuses in in Woodbury and in Shelbyville, God, and in, in Antioch with Crossland. We pray for all the churches in our county and all the counties that our churches are in. Pray for all the churches we work with up in New England, God, churches in Africa, Lord, churches in El Salvador. Father, we just pray for your church. Lord, we thank you for everything you're doing. We pray that everything that we do today, that it honors you, and Lord, that it sharpens us and brings us closer to you. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. We'll read a little bit. We'll break it down. Paul writes this. Paul a servant of Christ, Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to, the powerful, to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. It was one sentence. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a pretty lengthy introduction. Paul uses uh, six verses to basically tell who he is to this church because they didn't know who he was. He's not being arrogant. He's just saying, you don't know who I am. Here is who I am. And this is what God has called me to do, Paul says. God has called me to be be a courier of the gospel. I am just a, a person that delivers to you the truth about Jesus. And he said, I'm also an apostle, which means I have seen Jesus firsthand face-to-face. So Paul was to the Romans what Jesus initially was to Paul, a deliverer of the truth. Paul also connected with a lot of the people in Rome because they were very lost, and he had been very lost. So he has that kind of connection with these people. He also uses the word servant, which is very important, and we can kind of go over it without, without really thinking about how big of a word this is. Paul was a servant, and what's interesting about that is many historians believe there were more slaves that populated Rome than free people. So when Paul said, I'm a servant too, they were like, okay, I can relate to this guy. It resonated with them. But not only was Paul a willing slave or servant, he had also been set apart by Jesus to advance the truth, to tell people about the gospel. Now, here's what Paul was communicating. This wasn't just, just for Paul, because he says we're all in this apostleship. So what he's saying is it is all of our jobs to be couriers of the gospel 
and to be servants of mankind, right? Ultimately, we serve God, but we are called to serve those around us. That's not just for Paul, it's for all of us. We're all servants and we're all couriers of the good news that is Jesus Christ. So Paul talks about the gospel a lot. 10 times, I might've missed one in there, but at least 10 times that I counted, Paul mentions the gospel. He mentions uh, uh, the written letter, right? This is important because we live in a day and age where there are so many people that profess to be Christians, but do not believe this is the written word of God. In fact, LifeWay just did a study. Only 43% of people that claim to be Christians believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Now, that's, that's a really big tragedy in our country because without having the anchor of the word of God, we have no target. We have no direction. We are aimless. We are anchorless. And this same word says whenever we don't have vision and clarity, it says it's in Proverbs, we run wild. And is that, an, that is exactly what we've done as a society, not just outside of the church, but even inside of the church. The reason why sin runs so rampant within Christianity is because we do not focus enough on the word of God. So there's a lot of people living in a way that the Bible tells us we're not supposed to live. That's because we don't read this thing. We don't teach this thing. And we're going to lead ourselves to destruction. And so Paul encourages the Romans to accept the true gospel. And he even says the Old Testament. There's a lot of Christians too that don't believe in reading the Old Testament. And all the Old Testament is, is a huge flashing arrow to Jesus Christ, the Savior. It all leads up to him. Jesus is even mentioned in the third chapter of Genesis. So even from the very beginning of this book, it is an arrow pointing to Christ. And Paul is making the argument, Jesus is not a new thing. Jesus has always existed. The Bible says everything was created from him, through him, by him, right? And so Jesus was always there. The message of Jesus was always there. And what the Old Testament does is it just gives the story of Jesus and the cross and salvation validity because it was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus the man ever walked on earth. So it gives it validity. It gives it history. It makes it believable, if you will. And so verse five and six, now we're going to start getting into the theology a little bit in verse five and six. What Paul, what Paul does and what, what the, these verses kind of encapsulate what he wants to do in Rome is he wants to highlight that the grace that we have received as Christians should lead us to want to live a life of obedience. Because we have been saved by the grace of God, not because we've done anything to earn it, but because God has loved us, he has saved us, and because of that, we should want to do what this book tells us to do. So listen, all people who want it have access to God, and all people who want it have access to the things of God. But when we receive the grace, the love, the peace of God, we should want to live a life that honors God that submits to him, that follows his commands. That should be our natural response to the supernatural thing that happens to us when God saves us. So Paul writes to all of you in Rome. He basically talks to them like they are potential partners with him. Now, what that means is, is he wants to be mutually encouraged, right? They're going to sharpen each other. They're going to work together as a team. But Paul is also pitching to them. He says, I want to have a ministry amongst you. What that means is Paul wants to come, train up some leaders, and then send them out even further. Paul's goal wasn't to just stop in the biggest city in the world. He wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go to different areas and spread the gospel 
all over the world. That was going to be like a launching pad for him. And he calls them saints. Now, that doesn't mean that all these people were, were perfect, but these were people that wanted to live by the commands of Jesus, which means holiness. We hear that word a lot too, and we're like, what in the heck does that mean? All it means is that we're living in accordance to the way God wants us to live. Now, these people were not perfect. They made mistakes, just like we all make mistakes. But when they made a mistake, when they sinned, they would go back to God, ask for God's forgiveness because they wanted to be holy people, righteous people. And so regardless of how we view ourselves, all of us in this room are called to live holy lives, not perfect lives, but lives that are submitted to Jesus, that we're growing closer to Jesus. And as time passes, we live and think and act and respond more like Jesus, that we're evolving to look more and more like our creator. All of us are called to do that. Okay. All right. Next part. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated to Greeks and barbarians both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So obviously this church in Rome had a really good reputation. Paul goes, man, I hear about you guys all over the world. <laughs> Wherever Paul would travel, they're like, man, you heard about the church in Rome? So they had this great reputation. What made them have such an impressive reputation wasn't just that they were faithful followers of Jesus, but that they lived in a city amongst people that were living in deep sin. And there was even hostility towards the Christians. And so not only were they faithful to God, they were faithful to God in an area that was not very faithful to God. Now again, in our day and age, our, our day and age, guys, I don't know if you've noticed it, it is becoming increasingly hard to be vocal about your Christian faith in our culture. We are, we are a post-Christian nation. People can tell me different. I know it still says in God we trust on some of your quarters. It's not in the God of the Bible that this nation as a whole trusts in. It's just not. So we have become a nation. We have become a people that it is becoming increasingly hostile to live out the words of God. So reading the book of Romans should encourage us. We don't have to relent on our faith just because culture is changing and shifting. So we see that the church in Rome had an impressive faith. But what this makes me wonder is, what is our reputation? What is the reputation of Christianity as a whole in the United States? Not so hot right now. What is the reputation of the experienced community in the different places that our churches are planted? And what's my personal reputation amongst people? We need to be thinking about that. And we need to make sure that to the best of our abilities, that the church, right, our church, the experience, if you, this is where you come to church, that we have a good reputation in our community. I'm going, to, I'm going to brag on our church for a second because I feel like our church has a very good reputation in Murfreesboro and all the, all the counties that we're in. 
Um, judge Lisa, I hope I don't embarrass her. She's a friend of mine, but Judge Lisa, she's, she's one of the judges of our county. She comes to church here. She's coming here for years. And um, one of the things she's over is drug court here in town, which is a very, very important thing. And back at the beginning of the year, because of COVID, they could not hold drug court in the government buildings because they didn't have enough space to do social distancing. So this, I felt very honored. Uh, Judge Lisa sent me a text and I did this like we write out texts, right? She sent me a text, right? She sent me a text and she said, hey, we can't do drug court. Do you have any ideas? And I was flattered that a judge in our county would, would ask if our church had any ideas. And I said, well, would you feel comfortable using our building for drug court? And she goes, can we do that? And I'm like, you just give me the word. We'll set it up. So for like six weeks, you would walk into our student center and there was literally a judge in a judge's robe with a gavel on a fold-out table in our student center and then all these people doing drug court, which is a huge thing in our community, very, very important. But it just made me feel really special. I'm like, man, the city trusts our church to fill in those gaps when they can't do things like that. That's a good thing about our church, right? So that, that, that's great that we have that reputation. But then we need to talk about our personal reputation, right? Are we known at work as the person that works hard, that has a good attitude, that, that goes the extra mile for people? Are we known to be the gossiper? Are we known to be the person that talks bad about people at the water cooler? Like, we need to make sure that we have a good reputation, both as a church and as individuals. So here's the other side of that, though. Even if we do everything right, even if we, we do everything to the best of our abilities to honor God and honor our community, there is always going to be a demographic of people that hate the church. And there's really nothing we can do about that. Jesus, in fact, looked at his followers. and he, See, the church has been trying to win over culture for decades, and it's just never happened because it's never going to happen. Jesus even looked at uh, his followers and he said, hey, don't be surprised when people hate you because they hated me first. And Jesus never did anything wrong, never treated anyone bad. But there are some people in this world that absolutely just hate anything of light, anything of righteousness. And again, we can do our best to win them over to Christ, but it's not really our place to do. So he says, I want very much to see you. Paul visited, he wanted to visit this flourishing church. And he says, I wanted to impart some kind of spiritual gift to them. But I also want you to encourage me. Basically, he was saying, I want to come. I want to educate you. I want to teach you. But I want to learn from you too. I want to learn about your city. I want to learn about you. Basically, it's iron sharpening iron. This is a biblical principle back from the Old Testament. Solomon wrote this. They just wanted to mutually sharpen each other. Now the gifts that he wanted to impart to them were the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now we gotta be careful with this. We cannot give other people the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The only one that can give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit are God. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They all come from the Lord and he dispenses them how he sees fit. So we need to be careful with this because there are actually a lot of churches that have classes on, hey, you wanna learn how to speak in tongues? Come to this class. You can't teach people how to do that gift. That is a gift given by God. Hey, you want to learn how to heal people? Just come to our class. Pay $19.95 and we'll get you taken care of, right? There are even churches that not only try to teach it, they try to sell it. There are certain churches that have worship bands that have whole classes on how to have supernatural gifts. Now, let me tell you where that's theologically way out of line. There was a guy named Simon that approached the apostles one time when they were doing miracles and, they, and he said, hey, can I buy that gift from you? And Peter said, you're evil for even thinking like that. So when churches start trying to sell supernatural powers, they're acting like a heretic named Simon that was in the Bible. So we need to be very careful with that. The only one that can give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit is God. 
And so we need to be educated on that. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And that's what he's talking about here. I want to come tell you about these gifts of the Holy Spirit. I can't give them to you, but I can educate you on them. And then we just need to be open-handed. God, whatever gift you have for me, even if it makes me uncomfortable, give whatever you have for me. But the only book, or I'm sorry, the only gift that the Bible says that we are insured we will receive if we ask for it is the gift of wisdom. Bible says if we ask for wisdom, he will give it to it and he will give it to us in abundance. But we need to be very careful. We need to trust that God gives us those gifts if and when he decides to give us those gifts. Okay. So what, that's, I, I was saved in a Pentecostal church, so that part's a little fiery for me, but we're past it. Let's move on. So why is Paul so eager to teach them? Paul says that I am obligated. Some people are offended by that word. You should never feel obligated. Well, I was a suicidal drug addict. God saved me in the middle of that. I personally feel obligated to God. Paul felt the same way. Paul said, I'm obligated to the Greeks. That means civilized people. Barbarians, uncivilized. To smart people, to not smart people, to rich, to poor. He says, I feel obligated to everyone I meet to share the gospel with them. Now listen, you may be offended, Corey. How dare you say you're obligated? I feel obligated because the Lord's done a lot for me. And I think one of the big problems with a lot of Christians nowadays is we forgot the ditches that God pulled us out of. And I think that we need to pray to God that we never completely forget how far he has brought us if we're Christians. And with that, with that gratitude, with that kind of gratitude, it's impossible for us to become apathetic and it's impossible for us to become entitled because we understand that we haven't done anything to deserve what we have, right? All right, moving on. <laughs> Look at, these, look at these two verses. Look how much he puts into these two verses. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There is a tremendous amount in those parts right there. The first thing that he says here that I think is captivating is Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Paul knew that the only way that we are made free is through the gospel of Jesus. Paul knew that the blessings of God only come through the gospel of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul wasn't afraid at times. If you were with me during the book of Philippians when he was in jail about to be killed, Paul even says, I'm going to paraphrase, he says, I hope I have the guts to still stick by the gospel when the time comes. Of course he did, but we see in him, he was still human, still afraid at times. But here's the thing, when it boils down to it, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel because it is the only thing that saves our soul. Now, let me tell you where the rubber meets the road on that. Let's say we're back at work again, right? And, and you're getting water at the cooler and there's four or five people around you and they're all talking about religion. And they're all saying, well, I don't, I don't think you necessarily have to believe in Jesus. I mean, like, I, I, have, a, I have a Muslim friend who's a really nice guy, and I believe we're all just going to go to heaven if we're just good people. And then they say, hey, Corey, what do you think? I work at a church, so if that happens here, that's really problematic. But let's say, let's say I work with you guys. So um, <laughs> that happens here. I'm, we're, yeah, we're in deep water. Uh, but let's say, you know, wherever you guys work, that happens. And you're sitting there getting your water, and they say, and what do you think? What do you think, Jason? And if Jason turns around and goes, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think, I think if you're just good, everyone goes to, to heaven. 
It is in that moment where we cannot be ashamed to speak truth. Now, listen, I'm, I'm, we're going to get into some very complicated stuff in the second half of this chapter where we're going to be challenged a little bit on where we stand on things. But here's the thing. When it boils down to it, Jesus said this. Jesus said, whoever denies me before other people, I'm going to deny you in front of God the Father. That should kind of make the hair on your arm stand up a little bit. Because if we're at that water cooler and in that moment we have an opportunity to speak truth, but we cower to cultural pressure, Jesus says, if you do this, when, when, when you stand in front of, of God in the time of judgment, I can't have your back because you've denied me. That's a very, that's a very sobering scripture. So what Paul is saying is the gospel is the solution. It is the key. Paul is presenting to us a paradigm for how we do everything. <laughs> Paul is saying it is by the gospel that we know how to display the goodness of God. What is good? The Bible determines what is good. The Bible shows us that. The Bible is what changes hearts and minds. It's the words that are contained in the Bible that, that allow us to be saved. It is all found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is, all we have to do is look at the fruit of culture around us. The further we get away from the words of this book, the more chaotic it all becomes. Not just, with, not just outside of the church, because here's the honest thing, guys. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. They, they don't know any better. It's our job to enlighten them on that. But within the church, there are so many churches that do not teach the word of God that, again, sin runs rampant within the church. Heresy runs rampant within the church because we are not teaching the gospel of Jesus. We are not teaching the word of God. I saw a lot of you sharing uh, uh, from a church in Franklin that teaches all kinds of heresy, and they have been for a long time, guys, and I'm not afraid to point them out because Paul would point them out. If you come in the name of Christ but preach another gospel, we're not on the same page, but they posted a big thing that the Bible is not the infallible word of God. If you don't believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, what is your anchor? What is your direction? What is your road that you're walking on? All things fall apart when this is removed from what we are. It all falls apart. And we see it in culture all the time. And we're seeing it within the church. That's why churches in the United States are shutting their doors at alarming rates. As we have moved away from this book. We have moved away from this book. So another thing he says is he says, let me read the whole sentence. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I like to say it like that because it kind of helps explain it. What he's saying is we start off with a, with a little bit of faith. We believe in God, but then we get into faith to where everything we do is dictated by the mind of God, right? Everything we do. Uh, sometimes I feel like I over-spiritualize things sometimes, right? I remember I bought a car for my wife at a, at a really reputable dealership here in town. A lot of people work at this dealership, City Auto, and uh, bought, bought a car from there. But like, man, I like pray over cars we buy. Because I'm like, I can't afford to fix any cars. So I'm like, God, please let this be a good car, right? Maybe I'm over-spiritualizing that. But I think once we get into deep faith, like I rely on God so much where I'm like, if I don't have a dependable car, I'm in trouble, right? So God, you got to help me out on this one. So when we completely submit our lives to Jesus, what happens is, is when we give God everything, we start to grow exponentially fast. We start to grow in every facet of our life. When we trust and obey God, our faith goes from faith to faith. We start evolving, we start changing, we start living differently, speaking differently. We're not worried about all the things that are happening in the world because we know God's got it, right? It's that faith, 
faith. And then, now we're going to define these words, okay? Because there's two words in the sentence that are, are very ambiguous to a lot of us. Paul wraps up and he says, the righteous will live by faith. First word we need to define there is righteous or righteousness. This is important, so important. The definition for righteousness, the biblical definition for righteousness would be this, living ethically and morally according to this book. Whenever people say, well, man, he's a really good dude, we have to define good. What is good? This is good. So whenever someone says, yeah, they're a very ethical person, by what ethics? They're very moral. By what morals? They're very good. What is good? Righteousness is living morally and ethically according to this book. And so people that are righteous, that live by this book, will also live by the second word we need to define, faith. The righteous, people who are morally and ethically aligned with this book, live by faith. But we have to define what that word means too. This may be the most important thing you hear today. Here is our definition of faith. Saving faith is belief in, trust in, obedience to, and reliance on Jesus. Now, the reason this is so important is a lot of people say, I have faith. I believe that Jesus exists. That's problematic if we stop there. Because in the book of James, it says all the devils in hell believe in Jesus. They even know that he's the savior because they used to be roommates with him until they got kicked out of heaven, right? They all know. So when James says that all the demons in hell believe in Jesus, but they're, they're, they're still in hell, so just knowing that Jesus is up there is not saving faith. True faith is believing in Jesus, trusting in him, doing what he tells us to do, and relying on him for everything. This is faith. So this begins... Faith begins when we understand who Jesus is. Listen, I can have true faith in Jesus when I understand that he loves me, that I'm made in his image, and that he has all power and insight. When I believe in the biblical Jesus, see, what we've done in America is we've tried to bring Jesus down to our eye level. He's not at our eye level. Jesus is the king that sits on the throne and a sea of glass separates us and him. His honor, his power, right? Go back into Revelations chapter four. That's the God that we serve. He's not like us. He's far beyond us, but he loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He is good and all powerful and all knowing. If I know that, it is a no brainer for me to completely submit to that. I hope, that, I hope that spoke to someone. When I understand how good God is and how powerful God is, it's a no-brainer to say, God, have everything. Have everything. And we follow his commands and we follow his principles and we trust him with our spouse and our family and our money and our future and everything we have, right? You're all powerful. I trust you. So here's the thing. So now we know what righteousness is. Now we know what faith is. But the big question is, do we live by it? First question is, do we have a relationship with the biblical Jesus? Not the American prosperity gospel Jesus. That's not a real Jesus. 
not the Jesus of the movies, not the Jesus that, that, that turns a blind eye to our sin and laughs it off like, oh, shucks, Corey, you can keep looking at that porn. It's okay. I love you, Grace. <laughs> not that Jesus. So Jesus, a lot of people have concocted, isn't it? It's not the biblical Jesus. It's not that, well, I don't think Jesus ever gets mad, Corey. Then you've never read about Jesus in the book of Matthew. When you're in the corner of the temple making a whip with the intent of whipping people out of the temple, right? Jesus was mad. When Jesus called Peter the devil, he was mad. When he called a woman a snake, he was mad, right? Jesus gets mad, but we have to know the character. It was a righteous anger. We have to know these things. Do we know the biblical Jesus and do we have a relationship with the biblical Jesus? Well, I don't think Jesus would cast anyone to hell. Well, when Jesus said, don't fear man, but cast the one, fear the one that can cast your soul into hell, he can, absolutely. I was talking to someone the other day. They said, well, I don't believe hell exists. I'm a Christian. Well, Jesus talked about it three times in Matthew chapter 25. There's, there's a problem there. You have made a Jesus. You know what Voltaire said? <laughs> Voltaire said, God made us in his image at the beginning of time, and ever since, humanity has been trying to repay the favor. We've been trying to make Jesus in our image for a long time. Do we know the biblical Jesus? Do we have a relationship with him? Do we trust Jesus in every facet of our lives? Do you trust him with your marriage? Do you trust him with your kids? As we get into Romans chapter 13, when it says every single person appointed to authority is there because God allows it, do you trust that God has his hand on the government? Do you trust that he knows what he's doing with the economies? Do you, know what he, do you trust that he's knowing what he's doing with the future, right? Do we trust him with all of that? Do we rely on him for everything we need, not what we want, but do we trust that God knows what we need more than we know what we need? Do we obey his commands? If the Bible says it's wrong to get drunk, well, I was out with the girls. So I guess if you're out with the girls, it doesn't matter, right? It's okay to break the, the commands of the Bible then. It's a sin to gossip, the Bible says. Do we talk about other people's business and it's not our right to do so? The Bible says that gossipers and slanderers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible even says that we shouldn't even talk bad about people in the privacy of our bedroom with our spouse. Well, I'm just venting. Are you? Do we follow the commands? Do we follow the Bible's commands on how to live sexually? Do we follow these things? Do we believe that this book is the ultimate authority on morality? But Corey, it was written a long time ago. But God doesn't change. His principles don't change. The things written in this book have not changed. Do we believe that God is the ultimate authority on morality? Listen, do we believe that we are both rewarded. Listen, this is important. Do you believe that all the good things you do, even if no one in this earth gives you accolades or pats you on the back, do you know that God sees all the good that you do? Do you know that God sees your faithfulness and he rewards it? God's got a good memory. He also says that there are going to be consequences for our actions. Do you believe that? Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew that every single book will be opened up and every word indeed will be held into account. That's unless we repent for those. Guys, if we ask God to forgive us of our sins, God, put, God has a good memory until it comes to repentance. 
When we repent for our sin, it says that God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west and to the deep seas. God removes it from his mind. It's how much he loves us. He's not going to hold those things against us if we've repented. Do you believe this? An even deeper question. Are there times where we're ashamed of the gospel? Are there times when we're ashamed of the teachings of the Bible? I can't tell you how many hard conversations I've had over the years where people that I genuinely, deeply love will pull me aside one-on-one and say, hey, Corey, do you think this way that I'm living is going to compromise my salvation? I'm talking about people that I deeply love. And I've had to look them in the eyes and say, yes, I believe if you continue on this path, you're not going to go to heaven with me. That's hard. But it's in those moments where I have to, I have to make sure my allegiance is more to the truth than it is about just making people feel good. Do we believe that the only hope for salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's the big question today. We have to be honest. Listen, we may fool everyone else. We may have all the great pictures of us doing great things on social media and reading our Bibles and laughing as we walk down the street. We may, we may have all that stuff, right? We can't fool God. So we have to ask ourselves the question, can we look in the mirror and say to ourselves, I am a fully submitted follower of Jesus. I've completely submitted to following Jesus Christ. Can we look in the mirror and say, I live righteous in my conduct. My morals and my ethics align with this book. And even though I'm going to make mistakes, when I make a mistake, I go back to Jesus and say, sorry, uh, Father, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And I'm going to try not to make that mistake again. Do we live in righteousness? Do we have righteous conduct? And can we say that we live by faith? Can we say we believe in, trust in, obey, and rely on Jesus? You have to be honest this morning. We have to be honest with ourselves. There are times, guys, when I don't trust in Jesus the way I should. And I've got to go back and say, Father, I'm sorry that I didn't trust you. Forgive me for that. I'm going to do my best to trust you more. Do we live by faith? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room and, and maybe, maybe you're not living the way you should, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you're not even a Christian yet, but you're curious and you, and you want to know more. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here. Any questions? You're not going to freak Carl out. You're not going to throw him off. He's been a pastor for a while. You're, you're, he, he, it's fine. Come ask him any questions you may have. If you need prayer for anything, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. If you want to confess to someone, you don't have to, but if, if you want to come up and just say, look, I've been struggling with something. Can you pray with me? They're not going to judge you. They're not going to tell anyone. They'd love to pray with you, okay? The last thing is, is you have communion in your hands. That, that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. As we get into Romans, Paul eventually writes, even while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Even while we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. 
The beauty today is all of us in this room can ask God to forgive us of our sin. We can take the communion, which reminds us how much God loves us. And we can leave this place spotless and clean. We all have that opportunity this morning. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for everyone watching online, God. I pray, Lord, that you just keep your hand on us, God. Lord, let us to live by faith, to trust in you more. Lord, let us live a life that honors you, God. Lord, let us know that if we do make a mistake, that we can run back to you and you're a good, gracious father that loves us and forgives us and helps us. Jesus, keep your hand on all my friends in this room, everyone watching online. Protect them, keep them safe, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys very much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.